The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Um, this morning I was thinking about our topic of metta, and um, I was feeling, you know, happy about this topic, and, and then I, I was thinking to myself, oh, remember back when we were talking about renunciation, like how that felt in my body. Today, we're going to talk about renunciation. <laughs> and I notice it just has a different feel in my body. You know, each part of me has a different feel. So, um, so in this moment, feeling how it is in the body to think about that we're going to talk about metta today. Or loving kindness, as uh, we call it in, in Buddhism. Um, Another translation I like is friendliness. So it's really a, you know, the wish that ourselves and others are, are at ease, are happy, are healthy, and, you know, and doing okay. So that's our topic for today. And Chris is going to talk a little bit more about what metta is and and the practice of metta, various practices of metta. Um, but for now, just to take a moment to briefly review what we've done over these past months. It's, um, we started out with generosity, followed by ethics, which for me so closely overlap, and then into renunciation. So those were the first three. And then we moved into wisdom and energy and patience. So those were the next three. And then we talked about truthfulness and resolve, which also, um, in my experience, goes so much together. And um, today we're going to talk about metta. And then our, this is actually our ninth month. And our last class is next month in which we'll talk about equanimity. And so when I was thinking about this class today, I was just feeling how all of these parmies so beautifully work together and, um, and how these are such, uh, such mm, valuable qualities to, to cultivate, qualities of the heart and mind. So we're going to begin this morning with a guided meditation and in which I'm going to talk, um, it's going to be a little bit more about the subtle forms of metta, loving kindness towards oneself. And then we'll go into some breakout groups talking about acts of kindness, which um, I like to talk about metta in action. So with that, we'll begin with by taking a comfortable posture. And I, I definitely um, want to encourage anyone <clears throat> with any, any kind of back issues or any you know, physical challenges to really get themselves into a position of comfort and ease, as well as a position in, in which you can stay engaged. 
When you're ready, close your eyes or keep your eyes at a low gaze. Starting out by feeling the feet grounded into the earth. The support of your chair or your cushion. And start out by taking a couple of deep breaths. Paying particular attention to any sense of tension being released on your exhale. Now allowing the breath to return to its natural rhythm. Perhaps tuning into the, the wave-like quality of the breath as it moves through you. And for the next 10 minutes or so of meditation here, I invite you to set an intention for this practice. Setting the intention to meet each moment of experience with a sense of ease. a sense of gentleness, tenderness, the intention to meet our experience with a soft, kind attention. The same kind of attention, for example, as you would offer a loved one or a dear friend. So we'll begin by bringing a gentle awareness to the crown of the head and the forehead, the eyes, the muscles behind the eyes and the temples. Inviting this area of the body to soften
And now bringing the awareness down to the jaws, the area around the mouth, perhaps resting the tongue on the roof of your mouth. And bringing the awareness down into the throat and the neck, the upper shoulders, lower shoulders. Perhaps sliding the shoulder blades down the back, away from the head. And then moving the awareness down into the belly. Sending our breath down into the belly, allowing the breath to soften the belly. Allowing the belly to drop down and forward in an easeful way. Now bringing a, a gentle, a gentle, soft attention to the heart center, the area around the chest. Maybe lifting the chest up ever so slightly. Feeling a sense of openness, expansiveness. Spaciousness. And now as you lightly rest your awareness at your heart center, just notice whatever sensations are arising. 
Whatever is arising is worthy of your kind attention. Noticing whatever thoughts or emotions arise. And again, meeting those with your kind attention. Meeting your moment to moment experience with a softness, with a sense of curiosity. with a tenderness. And allowing whatever thoughts or emotions, body sensations, allowing them to arise just as they are, to be and to pass in their own time. offering space. Now moving into a more open and spacious awareness Gently bring your attention to the overall sense of your physical body. To sounds. And to the space around you in your room. Now bringing your awareness to the the felt sense of meditating with others right now. Just as you are meditating, so are your other friends and fellows.
And as our meditation comes to a close, I'm going to offer you some metaphrases, inviting you to listen to the words with your body and your heart more than your mind. So feeling the words. May your kind attention continue to soften your heart today. May you rest in the loving awareness generated by your practice. May you sense into the warmth of your heart. May you feel the power of the friendly energy within you. May your day be sprinkled with kindness and tenderness. May your kind attention continue to soften your heart today. May you rest in the loving awareness generated by your practice. May you sense into the warmth of your heart. May you feel the power of the friendly energy within you. May your day be sprinkled with kindness, tenderness, and ease. And to gently end this meditation, take a few deep breaths. And when you're ready, open your eyes.
Okay, so before we go into groups here in a couple minutes, um, there's time for one or two comments if anyone has anything they want to share before going into breakout groups. Feel free to unmute yourself. Um, in 2018, January, I went to Vietnam with a group of people. It was led by a long-term student of Thich Nhat Hans. Some of the people on the trip were my age, and so we were young adults during the Vietnam War. It was very painful to see some of the continuing bad effects of the war on the people there. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, okay. Um, and... Uh, so one person who was from the Santa Cruz uh, Mindfulness uh, Insight Meditation Group said, everywhere I look, I want to cry. And he said, so he um, said, everywhere he looks, he says, metta, karuna, mudita, what is equanimity is, uh, I can't remember what it is. <laughs> anyway, okay, yeah. he said, Opeka, yeah, Opeka. So he said this everywhere he looked when he looked at people. And I just want to put that in for Meta. That's beautiful. I love that. It's very true. So many ways to practice Meta. And um, that's a great example of bringing, bringing a sense of uh, an open heart, staying with an open heart, no matter what you're experiencing as much as possible. So, um, yeah, so we'll break into groups now. And um, what I'd like to do is I'm going to read you the questions and um, a couple of times. It's very simple, but uh, I know people like to get prepared for you know, what the topic is. So this is going to be about talking about your experience of kindness or friendliness, however you like to hold the word metta, um, or metta in action, if you will, in really in daily life, right? So um, I'm going to ask you to bring to mind an example of an act of kindness that you either heard about, which we're hearing a lot about lately, um, or you witnessed, or an act of kindness that you received from another person. So any one of those, whichever one comes to mind, you know, And in the groups, we're going to so describe the act of kindness. And as you're describing the story, if you're able to, stay connected with the sensations in the body as you're talking. So really be present not only as you're talking, but how is it feeling in the body as you're sharing this experience of an act of kindness. So that is the topic. And um, uh, just an example or two 
in case anyone you know feels like they're not sure of of what this might be so for example a neighbor you you hear of a neighbor going grocery shopping for another neighbor who's ill right or um or a friend calls you on the phone and during the shelter in place time and they just want to know how you're doing how you're holding up so something like that it could be some it could be uh you know the the meta meta kindness experience or something subtle or ever anything in between so is that clear to everyone anyone have any questions before we go into breakout groups we're going to be in breakout groups of three and you know as we do um in this case you'll be sh each sharing and um we have about Maybe, I don't know, let's see, about 12 minutes. So each person share, I'll, I'll yeah, each person share for about um, three or four minutes. And uh, just make sure that everyone has enough time to share. Because there's no bell I can ring with all the groups. Okay. Okay, well, <clears throat> I hope those groups were enjoyable and brought some warmth to the heart. And what we're going to do now is move on to Chris's talk. And at the break time, if anyone has questions or comments that they want to share, that we will stay here and be available for questions and comments of any kind. Uh, and then also near the end of the meeting, you'll have some time for questions and comments about anything that happened today. All right, so Chris. Thank you. Yeah, so I just want to explore a little bit the question of what is Meta to begin with. It might be obvious, but you know, it's a it's a long practice for many of us. Both of us learn through the phrase of practice of first offering, we begin by offering to ourselves. Or often that's hard for people, you know. So some people begin by offering to something that's easy, like a like a pet or a child or something, and then moving up through friends and difficult neutral people, and finally to difficult people. So this points to it, metta is a kind of a purification process of our relational way of being with people and our relational, a purification of the heart, this kind of practice. So what is this quality as it, as it matures? It's awfully easy for it to be mixed up in the beginning with liking and approval, right? That's why it's easy to offer to some, you know, cute, furry little baby animals and rather difficult to offer to certain politicians or people that you find challenging in your life or in your, in your world, right? So, there's, so it's a process of discovering what is in our own hearts, what is, where are we holding ill will? Uh, you know, metta is sometimes defined, we translate it as loving kindness, which can have you know, it's heart opening to some people and it's a little bit too kind of emotional and sticky overtones for some people. So some people prefer other translations like goodwill or friendliness or benevolence or or kindness, 
You know, it's this quality that is non-ill will. So what part of it, of course, as we move, as we expand our ability to feel this, to, to rest the heart in metta, is that we encounter our edges and we encounter where our hearts are not free from ill will and where our, our goodwill is not unconditional. It's dependent on people's behavior, say, or people, but really people's behavior comes back to their own inner degree of suffering, you know? So being able to relate to people in a way that's less entangled with our own views of how they should be or what we should be able to fix in them, what we need them to be and so forth. So metta is really, in a way, although it's deeply about our relationship to people. It's also impersonal in a way and unconditional. And it's very much about the state of our own heart. So how can we open our hearts and have this feeling of not wanting, not needing, not needing to put ill will into a situation, you know, coming to that situation with this, with this heart of, deeply wishing for the conditions for happiness for everyone to be able to arise that doesn't need to shut down because that's difficult or shut down in the face of suffering. So it really doesn't depend on liking or approving of the people that we are encountering, the beings that we're encountering. We're actually learning to connect on a level deeper than that to some of our, to our most deep common humanity, our deepest wish to be free from fear and anger, to be free from pain and suffering, because we all share that. And so somehow learning to, it's a wisdom practice as well as a heart practice in learning to disentangle our, our, the needing, the possessiveness, the, the, the favoritism of our tendencies in relating to different people. It's really, it's not a divisive energy. It's a, it's a unifying energy, unifying, but we have to be careful here because we can think, Oh, I need to, it can be confused with emerging sort of uh, emerging. And it's not really about merging in that sense, but about being fully, fully grounded in your own, situation, your own circumstances, your own karma, the the strength of your own virtues and the strength of your own wisdom, and being able to carry that into the world with an open offering of it as a sort of universally healing and helpful energy that that doesn't get entangled in other people's in other people's uh state (laughs) in other people's state of being you're able to consistently offer this non-ill will so it's kind of the heart and the mind of of peacefulness of stillness the absence of any form of aversion and that's not the same as of course as approving of what other people are doing we need to stand firm for what is what is uh wise action and what is wise speech but there's how it's finding that edge of how can we stand for what we stand for without that overlay or that flavor of aversion or ill will toward those who are out of their own suffering, acting in ways that bring more suffering to the world. 
And I think we find sometimes that actions that we that come from this purity of motivation of our heart, that they will be wholesome and healing, maybe in ways that we, we will never know, that we can't control directly, that we don't understand. But bringing that energy to a situation is often the best that can happen. And so this, this quality of metta is is um is very interesting to get to know where where how does it relate to all this these what are sometimes called the near enemies of these states of mind which look like them but aren't quite because they're really rooted in attachment instead of rooted in in an open-hearted non-attachment so um it's also really helpful i think you know metta is the only one of the no it's not the only we have equanimity and metta are two of the four Brahma Viharas that are included in this list of paramis. And I like to think that in this parami list that metta stands for the other three also. So maybe you're all familiar, but maybe you're not, with this teaching of the four Brahma Viharas, which is metta, compassion, some empathetic joy, and equanimity. And one way to look at it is that Metta is this basic goodwill and it sort of radiates through like a prism and when it encounters suffering, it manifests as compassion. And when it encounters happiness and joy, it manifests as an ability to be happy in the happiness of others, kind of resonating joy. And when it encounters a really difficult situation where there's nothing to be done, it manifests as equanimity. And in fact, equanimity is kind of pervasive, needs to be pervasive through all these qualities of all these flavors of metta, because equanimity is that, that heart that's not, that doesn't lose its balance, that doesn't lose its openness when it encounters difficult situations. That's really what equanimity brings to all these, all of these Brahma Viharas. So, um, so we'll talk, of course, much more about equanimity in the coming month. But it's, metta has that flavor, that kind of warm coolness of equanimity. That's also that's not entangled, not demanding, not not so caught up in in what's going on with other people that we can't stay steady in our own open heart. And it also is, I find, in in practice, very closely related to both mindfulness and wisdom. So mindfulness, I think more and more, Mindfulness needs to have that quality of kindness toward what's going on, an acceptance of what's going on, a, a willingness to simply be with it. And that brings this quality of metta and equanimity into mindfulness. And then when we're, when we're working with cultivating metta and we run up against our edges there's nothing like mindfulness to bring in right then to help us, you know, to be aware that right now what's arising is some, some frustration, some anger, some, some fear around what's going on in the relationship with the person that you might be thinking of in the moment. So mindfulness and metta 
can interweave really beautifully. I don't think these two practices, I think the more we mature, the more these two practices converge in a way. So that the mindfulness is not in the mind. It's a, it's an awake heart. That's the, the knowing quality of mindfulness can pervade our heart and our body and just be with us so that we know, you know, we know when, when we're, when we're heading out of, a state of metta into a state of anxiety about whether our good wishes for say our children, you know, are actually going to help them and actually going to get them on the right track and so forth. It's so easy to slip back and forth between wishing well and, and really leaning into wanting results, you know, or to feel like we ought to be able to wish well to the most difficult person we can think of someone who's committed horrible war crimes or something trying to bring, trying too hard to bring metta to that person before we've really explored our own hearts and discovered our own relationships to fear and anger. It's not so easy to find that level of common humanity, you know, that there might be with that person until we've really explored all these qualities in ourselves with mindfulness. So, you know, mindfulness and wisdom... Mindfulness and wisdom and all the nuances of the heart that's a little bit defended and a little bit held back and, you know, all that requires awareness and that intention of kindness toward ourselves that David's going to talk more about. We, we really, this waterfall model of beginning with what's easy. And for some of us, that's ourselves. And for many of us, it's not ourselves. So we need to start with wherever it's easy and get a, get a feeling for where the heart actually opens and then see if we can maintain that openness as we let more difficult beings or states of mind kind of cross into that field of well-being that we've generated, however it's easy for us to do it. Um, there was a conversation between uh, the... Indian sage Nisargadatta Maharaj that I like a lot. Some student asked him, what is love? And he says, when the sense of distinction and separation is absent, you may call it love. And then the student asks, what can make me love? And he says, you are love when you are not afraid. And I think that is so so beautiful because we're we're working on our fear right our fear of not being perfect ourselves our fear of not being able to get the whole world lined up so that harm stops happening and all that so what are we afraid of if there's always some fear that tends to contract the heart so you are love you are metta when you are not afraid so we're working we're bringing in everything we know in this practice to cultivate this quality. We're bringing in our, our wisdom. We're bringing in our mindfulness and we're bringing in our, all the steps of the eightfold path and all of the other paramis come to work on opening our hearts to trusting that really this is what we can offer to the world. So I'm going to just talk very briefly about ways to cultivate Meta. It's this wonderful quote. At first, I, I saw it somewhere, and I, I didn't quite believe that, I, that it was really from the suttas, but I looked it up, and it is. So here's Bhikkhu Bodhi's translation of this quote. 
bhikkhus, you should train yourself thus. We will develop and cultivate the liberation of mind by metta. Make it our vehicle, make it our basis, stabilize it, exercise ourselves in it, and fully perfect it. Thus you should train yourselves. So it's, it's the vehicle of the liberation of mind by metta is really opening the heart and letting this distinction and separation that Nisargadatta referred to soften and gentle and settle us down into the shared roots of our common commonality with all sentient beings. So when we talk about ways to cultivate it, sometimes we use words like doing metta or sending metta. In fact, that's how I usually hear it talked about. And that can be, but it's got a little bit of a flavor of, you know, this is something I'm going to do or something I'm going to like beam out. It's different than just being, learning how to be metta, you know, cultivating a state of being. And the suttas most frequently actually speak of radiating metta. These phrases come from a later part of the tradition and they're very useful. And I don't in any way want to suggest that they aren't very helpful to to many people, but the suttas originally speak of radiating metta. So we can look at being, being, at metta being a state of being that we're cultivating. And when we're in that state of being, it doesn't necessarily have to be a one-to-one, now I'm going to send metta to that person and send metta to that person. That vocabulary is a little bit separating, you know, it's, it's more like a state of, of simply being a field of metta that, that incorporate, includes everyone and is a, you know, like a warm field that anyone is welcome to walk through and receive its benefits. So there is the phrases practice, which we've talked a little bit about in the, um, in the mailings and which probably you're mostly familiar with, where you repeat the phrases of may I or may you be healthy and happy and well. There's also um, an embodiment aspect to it, really locating. Some of us are not in our bodies and have a hard time even feeling our hearts and locating our hearts. So the ways to work with metta might involve more embodiment. I love that practice that I sent out last week that Ajahn Suchito has, where you really begin grounding yourself in your in your body and then he talked about uh letting feeling your skin letting your sense of metta accumulate on your skin and i actually and making a sort of a i don't know i feel it's a sort of a safe wise sort of boundary like we talk about needing boundaries meaning we're not just overrun by other people's emotions or other people's states but we have this safe and protective enclosure that we, from which we can radiate metta. So working with embodiment. Um, lots of ways of working with the more difficult edges that we find. The waterfall model of always coming back to uh, something that's easier until you really feel like you can maintain that while allowing the, the image or the memory of the difficult person to come in using mindfulness to really come to understand the roots of your ill will and your own fear and anger at a deeper level. 
Maybe you can practice with it indirectly. I've done some interesting practice with very difficult people by invoking someone else who I have a stronger metta image of being able to offer it to them. So inviting the Dalai Lama to send metta to your difficult person while you watch, you know, that could work. Maybe it's sort of a way of offering your, your goodwill indirectly. You know, let someone, let someone stronger than you work on sending healing energy. It's an expression of your own goodwill but it may overcome the fact that you don't personally feel quite that um, free from that situation yet. So I just want to read this little poem from Hafiz that you probably may have heard, but it expresses this quality of metta. Even after all this time, the sun never says to the earth, you owe me. Look what happens with a love like that. It lights the whole sky. So, you know, we're really tuning into this quality of the sun radiating this metta to the whole earth, to everyone completely impartially, boundlessly, you know, and just trusting that that energy itself is healing in whatever way it needs to be, in whatever way that the people that we might encounter need healing. So, um, So I just want to end, in case a few pictures are worth a few more thousand words, I put together a little slideshow of some images that bring metta to my mind, of great beings beaming metta. What does it mean to radiate metta? So I just, it's a short thing, but I, I kind of, ling, the show kind of lingers on each picture. So I invite you to really take in these pictures and See if you can attune to what it's like to receive this quality. That's another practice I forgot to mention, is the practice of receiving metta. You know, maybe you can practice allowing yourself to receive metta from some of these beings. And some of these are pictures of people just looking in outward at, at you. And some of them are pictures of people looking at each other in a metaphor way. So just let this resonate with you and see if you can appreciate uh, how this quality touches your heart through these pictures. Now let me see if I can get this to work. Uh, just a minute. Abraham has his hand raised. Abraham, did you have a question? Yeah. Should we be watching this on your speaker view? Should we isolate on you? That would be nice. Good idea. It would, you would get the best view of this if you would, um, Pin, actually, come hover over my picture and do pin video. So move your mouth. Thank you, Abraham. Move your, move your, I'm not really sure how this works. This may take over the whole screen by itself. I kind of think it does. So you may not need to do that. Come to think of it. I think what I'm going to do takes over the whole screen. Okay. So, uh, anybody have any 
We'll just take a couple minutes. If anybody has any questions or any comments at this moment before we go into another breakout group. Okay. So what I'd like you to discuss in this next breakout group is um, what works for you? What have you learned about the practice of metta, cultivating this heart quality? What what works for you? And you could just talk about what what's easy, you know, the kind of two ends of the spectrum. What's, how is it easy for you to bring up this quality? And maybe what have you learned about working with the edges and the difficult people, difficult edges? Either of those, both or either of those questions. What have you learned about cultivating a heart of goodwill toward other people? And even if you're new to this and haven't done very much of this explicit practice, you've probably worked in your life with, you know, learning to offer some goodwill and staying friendly and kind to people. So what have you learned about that? What helps you stay with that? Okay. Hey, Chris. Yes, Laura. Can we take a short uh, break for the restroom? Or yeah, you want to take a break now? We were going to do it after the talk, but maybe it's fine to do it now. Do you want to take a break now? I would. All right. Um, sure. So let's take a ten-minute break, and if any of you have questions or comments. Um, you can, you're welcome to stay behind and talk, or if you want to take a break, uh, go take a break now, and then we'll do the breakout groups. Well, I, when um, I was doing in the breakout room talking about my experience, I didn't expect to, but I started to cry, and I hope. I realize that most of the time I am not very connected to my body. And um, when you open your heart, it leaves you very vulnerable to experience things coming in and things coming out that may have come from not such a great time or a great time. Could you talk more about the body? Because... I'm curious. I mean, I want more, you know. <laughs> Personally, I'm just being selfish. Thank you. Yeah. It, it, opening so much of our access to our whole bodies are kind of bound with this, you know, difficulties that we've had in the past that have caused us to tense up chronically and, or not let certain feelings in or out and so forth. And so, the more we can work with recognizing where we are, you know, really feeling like you're feeling your heart. You know, you can feel your belly, you can feel your feet, you can feel your legs, feel your hands, you know, as your hands touch your body, they can be a great source of kindness, you know, and applying your hands to different parts of your body so that you're really embodying awareness completely embodied is some people's definition of 
enlightenment, actually. So your awareness completely penetrates and meets all of your experience. And your experience is kind of stored in the body and bodily holdings in a lot of ways. So a lot of practice is getting to be okay with the uncomfortable sensations that occur in the body and not shutting down in the face of them. And then when you have, as you develop that confidence that you can be with whatever's going to arise from within and that you have this, this container of knowing that it's not going to separate you from yourself. It's not going to throw you off. It's not going to make you shut down your own inner connectivity. Then you have a lot firmer ground to be able to open up to what's going on outside and to let in, you know, difficult energies from, from what's happening. So I think it's worth spending, you know, and so does the Buddha. There are very strong passages in the suttas about mindfulness of the body is your, after the Buddha died, his attendant Ananda was bewailing his absence and, and some, I forget how it came about, but anyway, the teaching is that, your body is your teacher. <laughs> Mindfulness of the body is the teacher. You know, when the, when the Buddha is no longer there, the mindfulness of the body. So that shows you where you're, where you're holding and where you're, you know, and learning to be at ease with it, learning to bring kindness and, and curiosity and okayness to whatever you're feeling. So that's a practice well worth cultivating. Yeah. Thank you. I know Jennifer, you have more to add. Did you say, you know, I just one comment about that. Is that what you were saying, Chris? I just wondered if you had anything to add. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things I would say, uh, Christine, to your comment is that that's happened to me so many times. And what I, what I appreciate about the practice of Metta is, you know, it opens the heart and, all sorts of emotions come out. Um, whatever needs to come out comes out. And, you know, feeling that in the body, uh, I was just reading yesterday, is the process of healing. Just being with what comes out is healing. It actually is transforming whatever is arising. And, um, and meeting it with kindness, just like we would any other emotion. So I, I so appreciate that comment because I've had that happen before. I thought, well, what's going on? <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Well, I think we're back here and we need to, we don't need to, but the plan is to have another breakout session in which you discuss what works for you. Share a little bit of what, what, ha what, does work for you for evoking this quality either how to just kind of get it started or how to work with the edges of of uh being able to keep a heart of goodwill and generate a heart of goodwill is that clear enough okay turning this over to david right now So am I on? So um, I want to see people. You got to get the right view. So some of you may be having trouble with this factor. Um, 
some of you may be wondering, as I've wondered, do I have love? What is love? Do I have compassion? What is compassion? I know that in certain situations I've loved, in certain situations I've clearly had compassion. But as Chris pointed out, maybe those could have been intermingled with other things that, that might have made it not so pure. So what is this pure love, this pure compassion? And we're told over and over again, this is, this is who we are. This is, our, this is our true nature. This is our Buddha nature. We are love. We are compassion. That's who we fundamentally are. But what in the hell does that mean? Got fear, anger, jealousy, neutrality, not much going on. The last line of one meta prayer that I love, my favorite actually right now, is... <clears throat> May I awaken to my true nature, which is an inexhaustible source of love and compassion. My true nature is an inexhaustible source of love and compassion. Seems a bit far-fetched. May I live with the ease of an open heart. That's another phrase that seems <clears throat> more accessible. So I've come to believe in my own way that I really am love, that I really am compassion. Um, and here's how I have come to that. So we all meditate. We're all here. We're all practicing virtue, generosity, the other paramis. Why are we doing this? What's making us do this? The fundamental wish in practice is to be free from suffering and to be free from all causes of suffering. And I think we share that. We all want to be free. We can agree on that, I think. We, we want to be free from suffering. We don't want to suffer. And we want to be happy. We would like to have happiness and the causes of happiness embedded in our bodies, embedded in our being. So what I've come to think is, <clears throat> not just think but feel, that this longing, just, just the longing, embedded in the longing, is love. You 
long for yourself to be happy. You, how much you adore yourself, how much you care for yourself, how much you treasure yourself. You really want yourself to be happy. You really adore yourself. You really don't want yourself to suffer like you wouldn't want your puppy to suffer or your loved one to suffer. You really don't want your this loved one to suffer. You really want this loved one to be happy. And the Buddha said, this is noble. This isn't, um, this isn't selfishness. This is noble. The Buddha said, you must love yourself first. You must love yourself more than you love anyone else in the land. If we can't love ourselves, if we can't have compassion for ourselves, it's impossible to have it for anyone else. So just contacting this intention to be happy, this intention to be free from suffering, is <clears throat> that this longing, this reason that we sit, the reason behind so much of our activities, even the reason behind our misguided activities, What's behind all of that, what's behind our fear, what's behind our hatred to get rid of, get rid of what prevents our happiness, to keep away with our fear and anxiety what's going to prevent my happiness, to be afraid of what's going to prevent my happiness, the virus. To want, to lust, lust for what will make me happy. Sex, a piece of chocolate, praise, recognition. Behind all of those misguided Intentions is this love for ourselves. They're stupid. They're ignorant. They don't wind up making us happy. Those afflictive tendencies. But they're born in love. Your hatred is born in love for yourself. You want to keep away that person that doesn't like me. So, just, so, so rather than thinking of this love as something, sorry for the, it's Friday and they do uh, leaf blowers in Burlingame on Fridays. I hope you can hear me okay. 
<clears throat> so can you feel feel that that <clears throat> like when you practice when you sit down to meditate and you want to relax and open your heart and open your body and have some ease have some relief from the <clears throat> the blah 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 of the mind that that those gestures those backward gestures into loving awareness, into awareness. I'm going to say into loving awareness because that's what's supporting all of this. To relax back into it, to relax back into body awareness, mindfulness. Is this longing to be happy? Longing to be free? Which is, and the longing is founded on this profound, ever pervasive 24 hours a day with every breath, with every sensation, with every intention, ignorant or wise is love. It's quiet sometimes, subtle. But you can have confidence in it. You have love. You are love. Does that make sense? Shake your head if it makes sense and shake your head no if it doesn't make sense. Some heads are shaking. Okay. <clears throat> Rilke. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm going to mute myself for a second so I clear my throat. Rilke, oh, uh, go ahead. Uh, Christine, you want to say something? You want yes. to ask something? I just wanted to repeat what the first thing that you said that just blew my mind was embedded in the longing is love. Yeah. And that, for me, explains so many things I've been trying to get at when people say, we are love, you know, you are love. And it started to not mean anything after a while. That makes so much sense. Thank Great. And then, and that longing can, can lead us in many directions that aren't so great. And also the longing in our practice can lead us in directions that aren't so great, that, that lead us to grasp, to strive, to want, to be disappointed, 
So if we can get in touch with that longing and know what, what this is, this is love for myself. Then maybe we can just settle back. Maybe we can just relax that longing and settle back and be more effortless in our practice. Just having, just having this confidence that this is what I'm all about. This isn't a particular practice. This is who I am. This is what I'm all about. And just relax. Relax into effortless being. You can have faith in yourself, confidence in yourself. You are Buddha. There's this story about a... Uh, a gold Buddha, magnificent gold Buddha in Malaysia, in what was now what is now Thailand, and uh, it was um, huge, ten feet tall, five tons of gold, and they were about to be attacked by the Burmese, so they knew that the Burmese would get hold of that gold Buddha and uh, break it all up, tear it all apart. So they didn't want that to happen. So what they did was they, they covered it with clay and plaster. So when the Burmese would come in, they would think, well, this is worthless and they wouldn't pay much attention. And that's what happened. The Burmese attacked. They killed all of the monks. But they Sorry. I'll shut this off. Um, they, they killed all the monastics, but the Buddha remained. And, but the, it was so big that they couldn't move it into a temple. There was no temple big enough. And then in the 19th century... They had a temple that was, they built a temple big enough to house this Buddha. So as they were with ropes and whatever they, they did to move the Buddha, it cracked. The, the plaster and the, the clay cracked and they could see the gold underneath. And now you can visit Thailand and see this gold Buddha and all of this splendor. That's us. You can be confident you are the gold Buddha. You can relax and just into your original nature and, and, and know that when this panoply of thoughts come and you know, we don't have to fight with them. We don't have to be in conflict with them. They're just clouds passing through the sky mind of awareness. When we can relax into, with confidence, our, open our heart, open our minds. But Jennifer was, where Jennifer was leading us into open, open awareness, we can have faith in that. That's who we are. We are this open awareness. We are this 
love. We can stand in love. And all of our dreams come true. By standing in this faith, all of our dreams can come true. It's not that we're going to be, you know, la-di-da, happy all the time. But we can be, in this confidence, we can have some ease, some peace about our true nature. This is what we long for, I think. I think we long for love. We long for to be loved, we long, we long to love. I think that's what makes us happy, but not, not in some, you know, sentimental way, just this quiet, easeful being, being with who we are, relaxing the longing into what it, to its foundation. I have become a fan of a uh, author, a short story writer, one of the greatest American authors, poets. <clears throat> he was a uh, poor man. He grew up in a poor family. His dad was a fisherman. His dad was an alcoholic. He was abusive. Raymond became a fisherman, but he loved to write. This guy loved to write, and he wrote from his heart. And um, he became a janitor, and he, he did, te- you know, blue labor, blue blue collar jobs. Uh, but on his breaks, where he'd get his work done quickly, and then he'd write, write poetry, and he eventually um, became a one of the greatest American writers and then, you know, he would teach at colleges and have many students and highly revered um, and an alcoholic abusive to his wives, but loved his wives and they loved him. And it was kind of a Hemingway-esque life. His final words uh, he wrote as he was dying of cancer at the age of 50 <clears throat> were It's a little poem called Fragments. And did you get what you wanted from this life? That's something to think about. Right now, are you getting what you want from this life? This isn't the poem I'm talking to you right now. That's something to think about. Am I getting what I want from this life? He said, even so, I did. And what did you want? To call myself beloved. To feel myself beloved on the earth. Our longing is for love. And our longing is to be loved, which is embedded in just, not just, which is embedded in our awareness. Rilke wrote, how I yearn 
to belong to something, to be contained in an all-embracing mind. And I yearn to be held in the great hands of your heart. Oh, let them take me now into your hands. I place these fragments. My life. These hands could be awareness, loving awareness. So, what was the name of the man who said, Did you get what you want from this life? And what was Raymond Carver? Raymond Carver, okay, thank you. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm, I'm getting a little short on time, I think, so I, I think I should start to uh, wrap this up. There's plenty of time. Is there? Keep going. <laughs> well, I just wanted to talk a little bit about just to kind of talk a little bit about this is, it's confusing. This life is so confusing. We're peaceful, then we're not. We're open-hearted, then we're not. Our, our ancestors, um, they loved they loved those in their tribe. They took care of those in their tribe. They took care of their children. This is how it's always been. But when uh, people, other tribes started coming across the river, they didn't love them at all. They had a whole different set of, uh, of intentions and emotions and drives that were violent, protective, full of fear, full of anger, full of rage, full of vengefulness. I mean, they were violent. And there's been violence, so much violence all through history. Actually, the last couple of hundred years, they don't seem so great to us, but the fact that we can extend compassion and understanding all over the world and have dialogues with people all over the world is a huge advance in our our evolution. We are really evolving. And and I think that um, what we're doing now, all of us meditators, we're really moving the evolution along. So um, I just want to say one thing about um, finding this goodness, finding the gold Buddha in yourself. 
finding the, um, the love in yourself or the happiness in yourself or the equanimity in yourself, this quiet, subtle, love that's embedded in wanting the very best for ourselves, the wanting the very best for our tribe, and even extending it now to, to other tribes. That we, you know, focus on that and 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 let let the uh, let the other stuff go by, and but. Get in touch with that. And if you can get in touch with that, this this metta, in your own way, in whatever way you can, marinate in it. Let it change your brain. Let it let it change you. Let let yourself grow. The brain as you all know, is plastic. It changes. And if you can just marinate in these good qualities, in these open qualities for, you know, 10 seconds, 20 seconds, a minute, go back to it, it will change you. And if you need an example of this, look at any animal. <laughs> look at your dog. Your dog knows what it's like to be loved. You just pet a dog and his tail wags. Dogs are so eager, eager to love us, eager to lick us, jump up on us. So, um, I'd like to do a little practice thing, a um, little experiment. <clears throat> um, just th this, this, uh, uh, this is this is a little unusual. But please just try it and see how see how it works for you. So, so close your eyes. <clears throat> and relax. Just let yourself rest. Relax your body. Relax your heart. Relax your belly. Relax your brain. And if you can, if it makes sense to you, widen, gently widen, let your, your awareness, you know, you, awareness is easy. It's just here. It's just simply here. With no effort at all, just being aware. Let it expand to the right, to the left, in front of you, in back of you. 
expand to fill the room. Above you, below you, just relaxing effortlessly into this big sky of awareness and letting your heart open. And now, sorry to ask this of you, but try to get in touch with something that agitates you, that has been agitating you. Some person's face may come to mind who agitates you or fear of the virus. Some wanting, some fear, some hatred, something that causes you to become reactive. And see if you can find that in the body where that is in the body, that agitation. And if you can find it, put your hand gently over it. And feel it, feel the agitation. And if you can um, ask it, what does it want? Does it want someone's love? Does it want a vaccine? What does it want? And now in this meditation, even if it can't happen in real life in this meditation, give yourself what it wants. Give it everything it wants. If it wants a vaccine, give it a vaccine. If it wants approval, give it a big smile and an open-hearted hug from whoever you want it from. Whatever you want, give it to yourself completely. be an addiction, give yourself all that food, that chocolate. Now that you've given it to yourself, how do you feel? And let yourself just feel, you've got what you want, you've got what you want. How do you feel now? 
and marinate in this. You have everything you want. It's in you. What you're feeling now, you have it already. You already have everything you want. Enjoy this. Marinating. A big relief that I have everything I want now. Everything this fear wants, everything this hatred wants, everything this grief wants. I have everything that my that I put my small mind wants, and I have everything that my big mind wants. Okay, you can open your eyes. There's this, uh, one second, I just want to find this quote from, uh, Chris reminded me of Nisargar Dutta. Um, Um, excuse me, sorry. Nisagar Data said, all you need is already within you. Only you must approach yourself with Reverence and love, self-condemnation and self-distrust are grievous errors. Your constant flight from pain and search for pleasure are signs of the love you bear for yourself. All I plead with you is this, make love of yourself perfect. Deny yourself nothing. Give yourself infinity and eternity and discover that you don't need them. You yourself are beyond. Okay. um, So thank you. Do we have time for groups, Chris? I think it might be better to just stay in the big group and take questions. Yeah. So, so um, my question was, how do you relieve yourself of negative emotions? You know, you want to be happy, right? You want to be relieved of your suffering. How do you do it? How do you practice? with negative emotions, with suffering. If anyone would like to share, love to hear. I'm sure all of you, I know all of you are practicing and uh, it'd be great to hear how you do it.
I'll start. Hi, David. Hi. Um, that was very valuable. Thank you very much. Uh, it's great. Uh, and the way I'm practicing right now is I have a form. It's actually, uh, let's see. I have a form. It's from ACA, uh, Loving Parent Workshop that I attended. And the form basically is, uh, you know, what is the emotion? Where am I feeling it in my body? Uh, acknowledging that within myself, if it, whatever it is. And, um, and then basically it's like what you were saying. It's talking to that part of me and then it's giving love to it and oh. reparenting. It's yes. kind of what you're yes. saying, but it's been very Please. Yeah, one thing I have been working on um, uh, is since I noticed how I talk to myself, because for years I didn't even realize the way I was talking to myself. And when I did realize that voice was so extreme and, and so harsh, and, um, one thing that I'm working on now is learning how to practice loving kindness and metta towards myself and recognizing when um, I'm speaking to myself in, in such a harsh manner and wondering like whose who's voice is that? And I noticed that the more I become aware of the way I treat myself, more it helps me to um, to treat others. I think for a long time I was very guarded and um, fearful and um, mistrusting of other people. So there's always this this wall that prevented me from from being generous and being kind because I was always trying to protect myself. And then uh, just realizing that mostly I have to protect myself from myself. <laughs> the more I engage with that and the more kind I am to, to myself, the more natural it is when dealing with um, difficult people or um, people that cause a reactivity in me. Um, I know if I'm already in a mood, then I'm going to respond a lot differently than if I've been practicing and if I'm more gentle, I'm going to react extremely differently in those two situations. So, yeah, just concentrating and paying attention to how I myself makes it easier to treat others in the way I would like to. Thanks. Great, thank you.
to kind of piggyback on the ideas we just shared, I find that taking care of myself physically, and this might sound glaringly mm. obvious, but like I mentioned this earlier, like regular feedings, like, oh, make sure I'm eating, right? Not skipping meals, even if I like get really into my work, um, really support my practice. The same goes for sleep, like not keeping pushing myself. And then I can have the energy and the mental bandwidth to really engage with my practice. And that same way I'm taking care of myself, I can recognize like, oh, maybe this person I'm interacting with and who's maybe extra sour or salty for the day, maybe they're not taking care of themselves and uh, maybe hold that space for them more gently because mm. I always like to not sustain and nourish myself in meaningful ways. And then how I become, how I interact with the world, how that maybe is unskillful. And so something as simple as... yeah eat food and sleep and support the practice. So um, just responding to you and to Megan. Um, yeah, this is, <clears throat> this, this is, in a way, this seems like skillful, skillful actions, and it is. They, these are skillful. But also, it's just who you are. You know, that's kind of what I was trying to get to. Is this is really who we are. We really do love ourselves. And those negative thoughts are not who we essentially are. So just relax into who we are and let that take care of ourselves. Let that feed us well. Let that exercise us well. And let, that, let us wish that. For others too, I, I think that just takes it a little bit deeper. Is like, this is who we are? We can have confidence. We can have faith. And relax. I'd like to say something. Um, I think in terms of meditation, I've, I've recently been working with an acronym that Gil had in one of his talks. He calls it RAFT. Uh, when I'm having a, a difficult time, let's say it's anger towards someone, uh, R is recognize what's going on. Uh, a is acknowledge what feeling is coming up. F is what's the feeling in my body and really get in touch. We've been talking a lot about the body and how the body informs us. And I find that I can get that feeling to be with me in a gentler way. And so I'm turning my perspective totally away from that object of anger and totally towards me and what's going on. So I remove myself from that storyline because that storyline just keeps going. You know, why is that person like that? Don't they know any better? Blah, blah, blah. And then T is to tease out uh, what is my attitude towards what it is that I'm feeling in my body and, and the whole conundrum that I find in myself. And what I find really powerful about that is it really gets me to question why would I do that to myself? Or do I really want to be like that? Or do I really believe that about the situation or, or about myself in that situation? And it starts to take off a lot of the crap 
that comes along with all those messy feelings. Um, that's one thing that I have been uh, able to use quite a bit lately, and I found it very helpful. Okay, thank you. Um, I want. I just wanted to say that um, one way I do it, is like um, relieving myself from negative emotions, is um, being in sangha, being with you teachers. Um, really intensifies for me the recognition of what I really am. So being with in something like this, we turn towards this clarity and to hear your transmissions, David and Jennifer and Chris, and this, I can recognize myself, who I, what I am, loving awareness, right? By hearing you, being with you guys, I this class has been so amazing. This day has been so amazing to me. I can the veil, the things that tell me that I'm not, but I know what I am. I feel I am. I can see around that veil, being with you guys. I can see it. It becomes so obvious for these moments that we get to be together like this and I feel you guys so much and I'm so I send you guys such genuine meta I can feel this what it is like to radiate love I just so thank you so much even through zoom even while we zoom I feel you I love you well it's easy to see it in you Morgan <laughs> <laughs> I, was I just want to <clears throat> go ahead. Uh, I was also going to say that uh, I had uh, someone tell me a long time ago, you know, when I'm disturbed about something and my I can't let go of it, like, what is the payoff by holding on to it? There's always a payoff. And the payoff may just be the familiarity of the ugly feeling from some other time but um that's that's helpful to me but i i think presently i until this this, this meeting today i was doing a lot of bypassing those feelings during my meditation so thank you for bringing yeah. information I have one little short story that I just think is so helpful is it's in uh, Gill's book uh, on the, um, the, uh, the, uh, the monastery within an engineer uh, goes, is, is practicing at the monastery. I don't know what Gill has about engineers, but they, they always seem to be the ones that have the most trouble. And, uh, he wasn't getting anywhere with his practice. He'd been practicing there for several years and he wasn't getting anywhere. And so the abbess said, you have to stop coming here for two years and go to this, this, this place where they have, where there are babies, this hospital where there are babies in trouble. And for two years, I want you to go there every week and hold one of these babies they need human contact to survive. 
to, to allow them to want to breathe, to allow their hearts to go. So that's what he did. He, he, went, he held babies. And of course, after two years, he was fine. <laughs> he went back to the monastery and started practicing it. But yeah, you know, his own goodness, recognizing, you know, allowing his own goodness to come forth and being held by his own goodness, being beloved, loving, being beloved, opens us to this awareness of this life. So, um, Chris, do you have some parting words? Actually, no, I'm just so pleased with what you offered. It's so true to my experience. And, you know, I, this, you know, really explaining what's meant by we are love, this, this longing to do what we're doing is that so gets to the heart of it. And I'm, I'm so grateful that you put that so beautifully. So I don't believe I do. Oh, I do have one just to point out that, uh, our last meeting is quite far into June. It's June 26th. That was the best we could do with our various schedules. So we've got six weeks until the next meeting, but we hope you don't forget us and we all come back in the late June and have a... Enjoy your practice. Have a beautiful rest of the day. Mm-hmm. Thank you all so much.